Hello and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Patreon community. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I am Kova. I'm Kikita Kaori. And this week we're going to be going through the Heroes of Legend Chapter 1, which is the alternating storyline between this and the Battle of Cherry Blossom Snow leading up to the end of this current story arc. Yes. The round one of voting for Battle of Cherry Blossom Snow is complete, but we'll need to find out who won the votes. Uh, And we'll probably find that out this week. Yeah. Do we know in what form this is going to take the results come out or anything? No idea yet. Okay. Something to look forward to. (laughs) and the one-page adventure contest submissions have now closed and it's currently now being judged by max brook who is is the uh, game designer for much of uh, legend of the five rings role-playing game so that is cool Mm -hmm. so we'll let you know the results of that as soon as we get them right but today we're going to talk about the heroes of legend chapter one this story was by D.G. Laderut, and in it, well, Bayushi Kachiko meets with Bayushi Yojiro and Doji Hitaru in a tea house in Toshirambo, and she tells them that she has received word through magical sources that Bayushi Shoju and Ikoma Ujiaki have attacked the Forbidden City in Odasanuji. Shoju has reclaimed the regency and has done so publicly that he has he has claimed he has done so in alliance with the Shadowlands. Although none of the three actually believe that Shoju allied with the Shadowlands, it is obvious that they must stand against him no matter what. Yujiro claims Kachiko is the only one who can serve as champion, and that is everything that she has hoped for. But she knows that she cannot be the one, and so she claims the championship and immediately cedes it to Yojiro. After that, Hotaru faces Doji Kuanan who has come to confront her and claim the championship for the crane for being willing to sacrifice the crane to the scorpion. They duel, but in the end, Kwanan realizes realizes that he cannot take Hataru's life just as she is refusing to take his, and he concedes. Then, a few days later, a lion army arrives at Toshirambo, and at its head is Matsusuko. So this is quite the story. Mmm. Yep. Yeah, Res- a lot of stuff happening. <laughs> Resolve so many unanswered que- uh, uh, unanswered questions all at once. Mm-hmm. Unopened, unclosed plots, all kinds of things. Yeah. So, uh, let's get this road on the show. This takes place, well, the, the first part of it takes place about two days after Shoju retakes the throne. So, that will be quite a trick getting a messenger that quickly between the two probably doable with with post riders and all that kind of stuff but after a coup you tend to find that uh, information gets shut down pretty quickly yeah from the maps it's about uh, 18 days travel mm. to get from Odasan Uchi to uh, Toshirambo yeah um, so that would take a while however in this case the message came from a trusted source Kachiko had in Odasan Uchi and was carried by the winds and confirmed by Augury. So right now, 
the only spell in L5R that can do this long distance communication is called Messenger of Chikshido, which is where a, mas- a messenger critter normally <laughs> travels through Chikshido to carry the message rather than go over land. Yeah, there was a similar one in Old 5R, but that was a bird and would fly through Play the pigeons. air. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, there is the here, – here, Country Coast implies it's done by the air kami. Air kami are not normally used for messengers because they're sort of unreliable. Um, it is interesting that a huge amount of effort was made by Shoju to cut Kachiko off from all of her secret sources of information. But and in the story where that happened, which is um, Caged Birds, she kind of implies that she really has been cut off from all of her information. So she has managed to rebuild something of a network uh, fairly quickly. It's Kachiko. Of course she did. Well, yeah, it's going to be difficult to genuinely cut her off completely, especially if there are people who can send messages borne by the winds. That's going to be quite tough. That's true. Yeah, because they're, they're, you know, they're going to be people who are personally loyal to her. Interesting that she's not seemed to use them before now. Possible that there are people who said, you know, Kishoju basically says to everyone who... You know, everyone who's not in the know is going to send their stuff to her body double, Ayami. Everyone who is in the know will be told, do not send anything to Kachiko. So it's entirely possible that someone said, okay, I'm not going to send anything to Kachiko. Oh, do, oh, oh no, what has he done? Right, I'm going to ignore the, the very stern telling of don't send stuff to Kachiko because this is an emergency. So, that so that's very reasonable. Yeah. Uh, she says this is confirmed by augury. Which is an interesting thing because it's like we, we've we've had these discussions on the role playing forum about the use of this particular spell and spells like it and how that changes things. And I've suddenly realised that we very rarely do we spend any time thinking about how can you trust a message that comes in because sure you've got long term you've got long distance communication from one end of rock again to the other which is pretty impressive but at the same time anybody who knows you can send you nonsense in theory so she's uh the idea that she oh well i'm going to confirm this because yeah oh dear this is bad i'm gonna i'm, I'm definitely going to confirm this doesn't specify which method so there are a few yeah there are a bunch of methods of augury and i thought we'd spell some of them out in case you want to be doing some fortune telling in your game there are rituals for this in the RPG, or this is something that you could potentially do with a void role, even if you're not a Shikinja. And there's also uh, a passion for fortune telling. Or so there's there's things in the game that interact with this mechanic. So how do you how do you tell the future? Um, the most traditional one that people talk about for L5R is Kuaru, which is tossing coins or pebbles or sticks into a bowl and divining the future by how the coins fall. Normally, it's our special coins. And they're often tossed into a tortoise shell, which has segments marked out on the shell. So you look at how the coins or sticks fall into this the shell and what spots they fall in in the shell is what, how you derive the future. There's also... Even older than Kuaru in Japan is Kiboku, which 
you take the heat of a tortoise shell, you throw it on a fire, it gets a bunch of cracks in it, and then you interpret the cracks as as telling the future. So you can take the you can combine these two methods, and then you've got you know deluxe Kuaru. Uh, Interesting, uh, Kiboko. The the cracks in a heated tortoise shell is, as I understand it, the origin of the Chinese writing system because they started to write. Or they started to draw those those crack patterns and started to classify them and say this one looks like a mountain. Say so these these cracks here they look like a tree. Well, you've got three here. They look like three trees next to each other. So we're and then that started becoming you know, write that down. Or at least like to start off, it would be draw it, draw that thing that looks like a, a pattern of of trees or something, and that gradually morphed into. A full-on writing system, which is part of the writing system of Japanese, and thus presumably part of the writing system of Rock Again. So there you go. They're also big on fortune telling or telling the future through dreams, interpreting the dreams. And uh, in the story, Hataru says all of the Shigenja had this had dark dreams a few nights ago. So this is definitely a, a very primary method that is used in Rokugan. You're not looking for just one Shigenja having a dream, but if a bunch of Shigenja all have similar dreams at the same time, everybody's going to be pulling out their Kawaru st- stuff. And- Absolutely. Because if it's just one Shigenja, that could just like be bad sushi or something. And, but like if, it, if, if all of them are kind of dreaming the same thing, it's like, oh, that's probably a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, other omens were the flight patterns of birds was apparently a big thing, which is actually, when you think about it, because first off, that's a good clue for what are the seasons doing? Are we going to have an early winter? Are we going to have a bad spring? The bird, yeah, the birds are kind of going, no, we're out of here. Um, earthquakes and volcanic eruptions are also things that birds can be quite sensitive to. So if the birds suddenly start avoiding an area, that can be a problem. And that can be also, presumably in... Rock again, where there are spirits and things. Um, birds may start to avoid an area that's becoming a bit spiritually impure or where a big bad thing is going to happen. So flight patterns and things would be a thing to look through and study. Uh, astrology and numerology are very big in Rokugan. You have the Sapun Astrologer School devoted to it, but um, almost all the clans have their own astrologers who are studying the patterns of the stars and and studying things like your birth date and doing the numerology of your birth date or your numerology associated with your wedding date. So big important events are going to be associated with particular lucky dates. Yeah. Uh, in the Heian area especially, there was a lot to do with auspicious directions. We have a bit, we, we talked a bit about this with unlucky directions. Um, the, you know, the northeast being a, a bad direction in general. So when you build your house, you don't put certain things into the northeast of your building and things like that. And you want to have your main entrance facing this way because that's lucky. But you also have lucky and unlucky directions that change per day so that sometimes when you want to go to the north, you get told that north is an unlucky direction today. So you either wait until it's not an unlucky direction or you actually head off west 
for a bit and then you go north or go go west and then go northeast and things like that and so that's that's a thing that comes up a lot probably not in this particular case i don't think that would be how we're going to work out whether that message was correct although someone could be saying uh you know the way to Utsanuchi? yeah that's a really unlucky direction today like seriously <laughs> i think it's more likely that that, you know, the Kuaru was the kind of confirmation magic. Astrology and numerology, these things are, are more uh, studying the pattern of what somebody's life is going to be. If you, your child or. Broader in scope, I think, you know, it, it's kind of the, they're the big picture ones. Like, what should you be doing today? And it's not, is this message that came in, is it right or not? But more like, how's, how's your, how's your month going to be? <laughs> Um, and also, you know, there were direct seeing the future kind of spells for high level Shigenja, at least in old 5R. Um, however, this, this idea of seeing the future, telling the future has definitely been moved away from purely Shigenja in, in new 5R. And I like that it can, you can make mystics of different sorts. Yeah, it might be fun. I'm beginning to think it might be fun to to find a character who's really, really good at rituals, and they're not a shigenja at all. They don't have any mystical abilities, but they're they're just top notch ritualist, like an Asahina envoy, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, really, really kind of go into the omyoji kind of daily. I think that could be quite a lot of fun. Uh, an interesting thing here is. This is the beginning. We we had a very brief glimpse of what Kachiko was going to be doing because a lot of this is Kachiko's fault, I feel. I think we can we can lay a, an awful lot of this on, on Kachiko individually here. Uh probably not Akuma no Oni. I think I think that was going on, on on its own, but pretty much everything north of the Spine of the World Mountains. Now even that's even that's a bit of a, but a lot of this is Kachiko. But in the last fiction she was in, we did have that beginning like literally a couple of sentences admittedly of her genuinely understanding how badly she had behaved and thinking i need to do something about this and we're really seeing it here we're really seeing you know, her literally putting ambition aside which is a it's i think it's a it's a couple of um callbacks actually because first off it's a callback to Alt 5R, where Shoju was literally driven by the bloodsword ambition, which is why in Alt 5R, that's why the Scorpion Clan coup happened. But that was also called back in a previous fiction called Blind Ambition, which was where Kachiko's um, personal ambition was kind of laid out. So instead of being driven by a supernatural thing to do things that they wouldn't otherwise do, ambition is a part of Kachika's character and that's why she's been doing what she's doing and here she is putting this aside and realizing how destructive it can be but it's also calling back to those previous fictions which i think was rather neat yeah i like that so there's a quote that she she remembers from hataro speaking she says hataro remembers that hataro said you will help me set this right just that's a quote from hataro in truth and lies um, so a lot of these fictions are calling back on other fictions. So we'll have in our show notes all the places where we could like say that's a direct call back to uh, an older fiction. Yeah, yeah. So you'll be able to check those all out and see how they they link together. Uh, Hotaro and Kuanon, when they have their climactic duel, do so in a dueling ring, 
which is a ring of white sand in the courtyard of the governor slash magistrate's palace uh, in Toshirambo. They seem to be much the same person. <laughs> uh, it's referred to as Judgment's Retreat. So this is a an area which is apparently fairly common. It's one of those things that, that these magistrates' offices and so forth they have. You know, it's a combination of a dueling ground, the the white sands that had trials held, so it's a kind of a courtyard, and also it's an execution yard. Can be used multi it's a multifunctional, multi purpose space. And this replace the sand. Yeah, yeah. I mean it it's meant to to represent the light of Lady Sun. Of so truth and and you know, truth revealed and that kind of thing. I like how um, Mr. Latterote describes it. It would be much more, you know, reflecting all the light from Lady Sun, uh, which would be much more impressive in the summer, but here it was all covered with snow. So, Well, I think there was a certain amount of, if even in winter, it was quite pretty. Yeah, yeah, much, much less so amid the, the expansive white snows of winter, but yes, but still, <laughs> hey. So Omika, which is Kuanan's sword, is finally made canon. He, he, he remembers he's got it now. He remembers he's got it now. Um, his sword is described in the core rule book um, as an example of a quintessential Kakita sword. Like, this is about as powerful as an item comes in the RPG. Uh, and it's a 400-year-old Kakita blade that's preternaturally sharp and is able to cut through armor. Now, Kuanan spends a lot of his time kicking, and I like to think that he spends a lot of his time kicking because uh, he doesn't necessarily want to kill everybody he, he encounters. He's just uh, well, I, I don't know. I think I, I do wonder if it's if it's that he's he's found a combo that works really well, and so he's just but, he's just button mashing that because it's it's just always working for him. It must. It could be an Okoto thing too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a thing. Yeah, that people are going to be. St- I mean, if you're if you're carrying. Something that is a, you know, that good, a sword that everyone is probably aware of and is worried about. They're going to be looking at that, and they're not necessarily going to be looking at your feet. So, <laughs> fair, it, it, yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't. It uh, makes a certain amount of sense to act that way, but it, it is an interesting kind of yeah. He's got a style that's uh, yeah. I like that. <laughs> uh, it is mentioned that Yoshi and Kuanan kind of allied with each other way back in, by the stroke of a brush. And Hotaru already knows that. So she knows when Kuanan comes that he's kind of coming for the championship. What he doesn't know is why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's something serious, but she doesn't – and that Yoshi is on Kuanan's side, but she doesn't know why. Of course, the real reason why is that uh, he is responding because he found a letter in – Doji Satsume's things in the guest house in Odasanuchi. Uh, this letter was planted in the story Dreams of Shadow. It was planted by Shishoro Sadako. And this story, this current story, uh, does confirm that that letter was actually forged by Shishoro Hametsu. There is speculation, including mine, that it could have been potentially written by Hataru when she was much younger, before uh, she became champion. However, we didn't know how strongly it was written. Well, wasn't there a, a 
vaguely remember some indication that uh, it was mostly genuine, but a, f- a character or two were changed. It was that was more speculation. Yoshi couldn't tell if it was a forged or not, so he went with not. But but he he wasn't able to tell, um, which meant that it was a very very good forgery if it was forged. In any event, what we did not know was how strongly stated it was. Mm. Right, so it could have been you know just I love you, Kachiko, and Kwanum was going off on that, and and that's kind of where we thought it might be at. But from the way it was phrased here, it sounds like it was extremely strongly stated. It's like I will surrender the crane to you, my love, uh, as a token of my affection, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something beyond being in love, but actually willing to betray the clan. Um, and you know that's makes that's fine if it if it was forged like this. So we got confirmation from both Kachiko and Hitaru that it was in fact uh, forged and very extreme. And Kwanin really wasn't going off on a total hair. He 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 found something that was really bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, if if you hand something to Kakita Yoshi and say, "Is this forged?" and he goes, uh, "Don't think so," you know, he's he's quite good at that. So I can I totally understand why he'd go, "Well, this must be true then," and then completely just doesn't deviate from then because you know, surely it must be because otherwise he'd have spotted it. But if it's it's always that thing. Can you can you you can always worry. It's like, but what if the other guy was really good at forging? Well, right. There you go. Yeah. So Kuanan has been certain that the heavens have endorsed this purpose since a night storm rages when he didn't get hit by lightning, <laughs> and and was confirmed not to have been not blown up by Gaijin Pepper. Although that came later, but at the time that was lightning, and so he said, "Yes, this is proof." Well, that and he said that, and he took the most dangerous position to take a keep, and he says, "Okay, you know, I if I don't die taking this position because that seems really, really likely, then I know it's meant to be." And so it's not like he didn't put himself on the line, too. Yeah, I, I still feel his his logic was a bit faulty, but I can see where he got that from. Mm-hmm. So the duel here checks uh, Hataru and. Kuanan check with Bayushi Yojiro for permission to have the duel. So that means that Yojiro is the legal authority there. So when you're looking for permission for your duels, it's the local authority, not your clan authority, who grants you permission. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, it is one of those things where. When it's the clan champion, I think there's kind of two questions, essentially. Do we have permission to do the duel at all? Now, she is, she is the clan champion. There isn't currently an emperor, who are, and the, the regent is, has declared herself for the Shadowlands. She has no one else to ask. So she gets to decide, does the duel happen? That's one way of thinking. But can we do it here in your city on your dueling ground? is most definitely a magistrate thing. So, so she could be asking permission to do the duel entirely. Mm-hmm. Or, or it could be, well, you know, I, I authorize this duel. Do you mind if we do it here? As a GM, I would lean towards making it so that duels require the permission of the local authorities. But 
only very rarely, if ever, require you both to write off to your um, home lords and ask for permission to duel because your home lords aren't, go- aren't going to be there to respond to the situation while you're in the situation and and so on. I mean, if you were right there in front of them, sure, but... I mean, it, it, it must be said, you're reasonably unlikely to be playing clan champions, so this, the particular circumstances are unlikely to come up. I mean, my understanding is that Emerald Magistrates can authorize most duels. That's what I thought. You would go to the person who is the head of the village you are in. If you're not in the middle of a city, you you go to the local authority. Uh, for for permission for a duel when you're talking about a duel. And that does add some implications because you are more likely to get permission in some lands and less likely in other lands. So, you know, uh, or, you know, the terms might be changed. So um, I liked the very visual, very straightforward use of stances in the duels uh, that uh, Mr. Ladderout uses here. He... Um, it would be very boring if every duel and every fight was described this way, uh, in L5R, but this one being a one-off straight from the RPG style does give you an idea of how cinematic that could be. I, uh, it's nice to see that they're, they're playing the role-playing game for once. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I wouldn't like it all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's uh, fun. But he, you know, he has, you know, Earth being this defensive blocking crits thing and, you know, fire for killing blows and water to shift from one to the other. It's, it's, yeah, he, he, he played out this duel somewhere. Kawan and Stice rolls were pretty good. <laughs> They're not good enough. Yeah. We, we do have, um, the idea of giving yourself up to, um, Emma's judgment. Which is kind of an important thing, um, especially because they're, they're specifically talking about their father and how good a person he was, and and things like that. His his strengths and weaknesses, successes and failures, and how they weren't down to heaven; they were down to his own choices, and he would have to answer for them. And and thus, so would Kuanon. So he can't go around saying everything I do is the will of the heavens. He kind of has to, like, take responsibility for his own choices. Exactly. Uh, Kwanin says he lost a duel to a wounded, defeated opponent, Matsu Ketakura. So, Kwanin is speaking figuratively here about the offense, the events in Nightstorm Rages. Uh, Matsu Ketakura was the commander there who lost a battle to him. Kwanin wanted Ketakura to surrender... Uh, but Ketakura basically convinced Kuanan to allow him to commit se- seppuku instead to avoid the dishonor. So it's not that Kuanan literally dueled Ketakura here. Um, he lost in a, in a different way because they used to be, um, friends and dueling sparring partners young. <laughs> so, so this that. Yeah. It's been it's three days passed between the duel and the arrival of the lion, and it's uh, it is clear that Hotaro is still limping from the wound she takes in the duel. Implication being that uh, even as a clan champion and guest of the local magistrate and so forth, 
with Shigenja on access. We know that there are Shandir Shigenja. Um, I can't remember, because I know there's Path to a Piece, which that takes fatigue, but I can't remember if you can get rid of wounds magically. Yeah, so again, I, I don't know how much of this is in the role-playing game and how much isn't. Um, so yeah, so she's still limping at that point. But then again, I mean, it could be that, no, no, the crit's healed, but yeah, I'm going to role-play limping. Even, you know, it's only been a couple of days since I had the wound, even if they like they fixed it five minutes. She seemed pretty badly hurt. It was a, it was a, it it wasn't just a, you know I'm but we'll see next story because Matsusuko is still alive. Um, Hataru had killed Matsusuko's fiance Akoto Araso in the story The Price of War right here at Toshirambo, like literally right where they're standing, apparently. Um, at the end of this story. So we did not know whether Matsusuko had survived the falling of Kuden Kikita. And so this is kind of a surprise to everybody. Well, I mean, Ujiaki's whole thing is based off the notion that she is dead. So he, he had straight up reports. No, no, she's dead. But here she is perfectly alive. So she must, given the distances and everything else, she must have either she did a team rocket <laughs> or flying away again and landed in the middle of a lion army or immediately after uh, the destruction of Kuten Kikita, she booked it, met with a lion army probably at uh, Kudematsu because that's the closest big castle to that, to Kuten Kikita, picked up a bunch of her troops and march straight here. I mean, that's the only way she could get there. How far? How far are we talking? Uh, I'd have to go back and check, okay. but it's about 200 miles. And yeah, it's not been that long since Kuden Kikita went kapoom. Mm. Having said that, I think there probably would be line armies, especially if anybody saw, because the crane, you know, are, are wintering, or the, a big chunk of the crane are wintering in. Toshi Rambo, I'd send some lion up that, that direction. Oh, the de- that the army was already there, or out of the edge of sight in Lionlands, but there, there's no doubt. It's like Matsusuko just had to book it straight out of the destruction of Kuten Kikita, though, to go to the nearside army, and then decide to take the army to Toshi Rambo. So... Yeah, uh, I am. I am just desperately hoping that she finally gets over herself. <laughs> Matsusuka. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's just the whole "how dare you kill my fiance" in the middle of a war, which is what wars are all about—the whole killing people thing. While he was trying to kill you. While he was trying to kill you, <laughs> and he died a glorious death in battle. And honestly, it was an amazing shot. And seriously, I mean, it's I I get that you're upset about this, but honestly, that's war, and you know, he died as he lived. Right. I mean, he wouldn't have wanted to go as an old man in his bed, most likely. So no, no. And I have to say, the what she says is fairly neutral, and it can be interpreted a bunch of ways. So we'll guess we will see in the next Heroes of Legend chapter. Yeah. Which may or may not be after some voting. What did you think of this story? Um, I really liked it. Uh, it sets some stuff in motion. It gives Kachiko, it kind of confirms the direction of her character, 
gives her a straight up character development because she get literally gets handled everything she has ever wanted and and says no, which I think is is, is pretty impressive. That's that's you know that's the thing that's been driving her pretty much her whole life because she got told early on you're not going to be the daimyo, not quite because you're a girl, but you know you have the, you have this other destiny, so you're gonna have to not fulfill your own destiny. You're fulfilling fulfilling other people's destinies. Um, your brother's going to be daimyo, and off you go and go marry this other person, and everything you do is going to actually reflect on him rather than on you. And she's like, no. And she's wanted to be acknowledged for her own abilities and of her own power. And finally, someone is handing this to, and not just handing it to and saying, no, no, you are the only one who can do this. You have to do this. Mm-hmm. And she says, no, I can't be trusted. Yep. I thought that that was a great arc. I thought it was. So I think the relationship between Hataru and Kachiko it's always been you know my my view of it has always been i admit colored by the very tragic relationship between Hatori and Kachiko who was the old crane champion in um in old 5R and they had a very very tragic uh oh, yes. relationship and uh, it ended up very, very badly, uh, especially for Hattori. Uh And yeah. the relationship here, they have changed a lot. But I kind of have always gone into it expecting Kachiko to, at some point, turn on Hitaru and, um, and, and betray her and... Uh, that did not happen. And it's really, it's, it's nice to see in some ways there are, you know, tragic love stories are a thing. And, uh, you know, I, I appreciate the storytelling of, of them. Um, so it's, I, I'm still kind of like, it's, it's nice to see this relationship not go that way. But on the other hand, I kind of, um, you know, I also wonder if we will we will get a a good tragic love story as well. I know not everyone appreciates those, so and I can I can see that. But there's room for tragedy that isn't Kachiko betraying Hotaro. It could easily be that Hotaro, because she's going to have to end up being Crane Clan champion. If Kachiko ends up also having either having to leave public life or in the end become champion and it's like well there's no way we can continue our relationship like this we are being torn apart by external forces you know the our, our love is not enough sadly that's a different sort of tragedy it also depends on who ends up being a thunder and how because that did not end well for a great many of the thunders <laughs> if we end if we end up with thunders that did not end up well for an awful lot of people uh so that could happen i'm not saying that I wouldn't necessarily to happen to them. And, and this is a different twist. I just like more saying like, I kind of expected it to. And so seeing this was, was new, but not bad. It was just new and not bad. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I really wouldn't have wanted to see an actual betrayal on either side. Cause that would have been, I, that would have really kind of felt bad or anything that suggested that Kachiko was just manipulating Hotaro and she didn't care. That I would not have liked. 
that at all. Yeah. No, that would have been a bit horrible. So I honestly do quite like Humble Kachiko. Uh, I think she's got a lot of potential. I have a sneaking suspicion that when they, because it, I reckon Heroes of Legend does seem that it's going to be focused around what do we do about Shoju with a certain amount of, and also, also the whole lion, crane, unicorn wall. That's got, that seems that's what that's going to be involved in. I think it's going to be interesting when people start saying, we need to do a certain thing. And then Kachiko says, uh, I realize no one trusts me and for good reason, because I've done some bad things. However, I have some suggestions. And everyone goes, oh, yeah. Because mm. I think that, that would be an interesting kind of place to put her, where she's kind of, they have to make use of her skills and talents, uh, despite the fact that her skills and talents are uh, somewhat questionable. And and they also have, and, and also they, they, they may well have to kind of skirt close to her ambition addiction, which she is very much aware of. And so there may be points where she, she's kind of going, I have to be cautious. It's not a bad place to start where, where they're at. I, I think there's, there's lots of place for, for drama. And, of course, the big thing is, what is Tsuko going to be doing? Right. Well, we don't know that yet, but that sounds good. The other thing was just wrapping up the Civil War. I, I liked it. One of my thoughts, I, I thought we would get to a duel. I never thought that it would be crane armies against crane armies. That's just not... It would take a lot to get to there, <laughs> to get crane armies. That didn't. That doesn't make sense for the personalities involved, really. Um, and and the crane just don't have enough people <laughs> to do that. So I always figured it would end up with a duel because we're crane, you know, and that's how crane do things. And and we've had that iconic image for ages and ages and ages, like years now, where you start off with with. Hotaro with a Naganata, and then on the other side you had Kawanon with his with his katana, and people going, "Are they facing each other? Are they facing away from each other? Are they back to back fighting some other enemy?" No, no. Look how the landscape matches behind them. Mm. Then we got the image in one, all in one, and okay, they're clearly facing each other, and so, mm, well, but what are the circumstances? And then. But there's still dead cranes on the ground, so green samurai on the ground, which is why everyone said that there were soldiers. I can only assume that that is Kwan's entourage, and they all were just overcome. <laughs> they just fainted. fainted at Hotaro's glory. Um, I don't think uh, so. No, but um, <laughs> that's pretty funny, though. Um, we anyway. I always figured it would come down to a duel because that's much more crane. I thought there was a chance that. Uh, Hataru would just surrender um, for the sake of keeping uh, uh, the unification of the crane, and plus a certain amount of "I'm so sick of this." this which is, which is to a certain extent, what she did. But she used that surrender in a in a very active way. In, in what I had thought might happen is that. That she would surrender and then Quantum would let her go as a Ronin. But that's not what happened. She surrendered and then Quantum realized, oh, this is my sister. You don't go around killing your siblings. Yeah. Your sibling is Hametsu, and then maybe if you're Kachiko. Anyway, that's different. <laughs> well, definitely, because Kachiko is like, you know, when, when, when Kwanon's going, oh, right, he's the bad guy. He must be punished. And Kachiko's like, as long as you let me watch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. No love lost there. 
<laughs> but it was a good resolution for the story, and I think that uh, Mr. Ladder did a good job. Yeah. And we will see what happens next. But overall, I think that's it for us this week. Yep. So let's give a shout out to our sister podcasts in court games, including the Legend of the Five Rings LCG podcast. Still not quite sure how they're going to be moving forwards, but stuff is going on. So you never know. A little bit um, longer, just a little bit yeah, longer. Yeah. A lot of things are, are going on hold and this lineup will be changing soon, yeah. I'm sure. But we, we, we do have it for now. So there's that. Until we change our show notes there. <laughs> uh, we also have our Live from Tokyo podcast, Tokyo the Five Rings, and our two actual play podcasts, Crimson Gold, Agonies, and Fortunes and Strife. And we cannot go without mentioning our friends at ET20 Radio, who have a whole slew of role-playing game podcasts for you to listen to. So anything you're into... They'll have something for you. Our content is funded by the Community Discord Patreon, which supports our editing costs, as well as our website, where you can store and see longer-term information, uh, summaries of podcasts, RPG tools, and more. For our Patreons, we do try to have things like early access to our AP podcasts, but anything that you think of that would be good Patreon material, please, please let us know. Online, you can find us at our website, courtgamespod.com. On Twitter, we are twitter.com slash courtgamespod. And on Patreon, we are patreon.com slash courtgames. But uh, that's it for us this week. This is Kikita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And I have been Korva. And until we meet again, keep your jade handy. Radio, where gamers roll.